The scripture reading this morning is Matthew 5:43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Does God ever ask people to do stuff that's impossible? Does God ever ask the impossible? Of you? Or is it true that what we've all heard, God will never give you more than you can handle? Ever hear that? I think that's in ninth John. That's, that's not in the Bible. I think God gives us more than we can handle most people multiple times in our lives. And I think God absolutely asks the impossible of us. Now sometimes, uh, just because God asks the impossible doesn't mean the impossible won't be accomplished through us. Because as Jesus will say later in this book of Matthew that we're studying, with people things are impossible, but with God all things are impossible. All things are possible. Um, but he says right there, with, with people some things are impossible. We can, we can chapter and verse, we can find scads of stories in the scriptures where God asks people to do impossible things. One time, God asked this little shepherd boy with a slingshot, his name was David, to go and defeat an armed and an armored giant that a whole army was scared of. Right? That's not possible. Okay? Um, it would be like... Uh, and old Tucker here with his broken arm. We said, oh, you know, Tucker, it's, you have to, the, the, the fate of the people of Chase County de- depend on it. You have to fight Coach Rusher. And you, you have to defeat him. And he's going to be armed, but we'll give you a handful of rocks, Tucker. Right? It's not possible. There's not going to be odds in Vegas on that fight. It's not possible. Sometimes God does the impossible. And we, and we could list story after story after story. Some of the ones in the scriptures, the reason people don't believe them is because, well, that's impossible, right? That's the point. At least a point of some of those stories. They're not, miracles aren't miracles if they're possible, right? And because we know those stories, and, we, and some of us, we love those stories. We believe those stories. Sometimes we can get the wrong idea, though, about the way life works. Because sometimes when God gives you something, He knows you can't handle. Because we knew that when Daniel went in the lion's den, the lions didn't eat him. 
we can sometimes be convinced that this is the way Christianity works. God has asked me to walk through something that I can't handle. It's not possible. So I, I have to put my head down and try my hardest. And I have to believe really hard that it's, this is going to work out. And if I do those two things, if I try really hard and I believe and I never doubt, then I will get this payoff in the end, the way David got a payoff when he defeated Goliath. The way um, Noah got a payoff when he built the ark. The truth is, though, about life, (laughs) like sometimes the lions eat the Christians. And if we believe when God asks us the impossible, that if we do everything right, he'll give us the, the, the outcome we desire, we'll wind up being really disillusioned. Sometimes he does. Man, sometimes there are people, you know, there's, there's a couple who struggles through a terrible thing in their marriage. But then on the other side, they get the payoff of like, we have a better marriage than we ever had before with this thing happened. Uh, sometimes, like a family loses a loved one, right? And it's just crushing and it's terrible. And God, I can't do this. And sometimes on the other end, they get the payoff. Is like, wow, there's, there are people in our family that we know will be alive in eternity because of this event. There's, there's even for that, there's, there's a payoff. But we know life doesn't always work like that. And God doesn't promise if we work hard enough and believe hard enough that in this lifetime we will see the payoff we think we should get. And the reason I bring that up is because today Jesus is going to ask us again to do something that sounds impossible. And if you think you can do this on your own, like, I don't even think you'll think you can do it on your own. If nothing else, you might think Jesus was kidding (laughs) or exaggerated because Jesus is going to tell you to love your enemies. Today was bad enough last week when he said don't retaliate when they hurt you. This week he said, no, I want you to love that person. I want you to pray for that person. And by the way, Jesus doesn't say you can pray that God would staple his nostrils shut or pray that his dog dies or pray that whatever. This is, he wants you to pray blessings over the life of your enemy. And it's, it sounds and it feels really impossible. And then life tells us a lot of times there won't be a huge payoff on the other end if I do it. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray blessings over them. And then he doesn't follow it up by saying, if you do this good enough and you believe hard enough and you work hard enough at this, I will make that jerk admit to you he was wrong. I'll change her behavior and I'll make her stop being mean to you if you do this right. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, if you do this, people will notice and everyone will know who the bad guy is and who the good guy is in the situation. He doesn't say that either. In fact, if you come back next week, he's gonna, for a few weeks, he's going to tell us, if you do good stuff for people to see you and congratulate you for it, you get nothing from God from it. 
So that can't be the payoff. This is the last in a series of teachings where Jesus says, you've always heard it said this, you've always thought this was the best way to do things. I'm going to tell you, really, this is the way it ought to work. And, And today that teaching is, I want you to love your enemies. It's a doozy. It sounds impossible with a capital I. Here's what I want to do with you this morning. I just want to discuss what this means and what it doesn't mean. And then at the end, why would God ask us to do this? So that's where we're going. We start this. We're in Matthew 5, um, verse 43, and I'm going to throw in verse 46 and 7 at our first point here. Um, Jesus begins this little paragraph this way. He says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, the first part of that, this love your neighbor thing, I know where that comes from. That's straight out of the Old Testament. Um, Leviticus 19.18 says, you must not take vengeance nor bear a grudge against the sons or the children of your people, but you must love your neighbor as yourself. Straight out of the law. I know where that one comes from. This other half, though, this hate your enemy deal, I have no idea where Jesus got that. He says, you've always heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. There is no place in the Old Testament where it says it's okay for us to hate our enemies. Trust me, I've read it. It ain't in there. Um, There's some debate among biblical scholars about where Jesus got this. There's one line of thinking. It makes sense that this had become an accepted and even popular teaching of the Pharisees. The reasoning would go like this. That Leviticus verse said, uh, do not... uh, Take vengeance or bear a grudge against the children of your people, other Israelites, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that leaves open the possibility that if they're not Israelites, we can hate them. So love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Now, I, I'm not sure that's true. There's, there's certainly no written record that that was ever a, a passable teaching or a popular teaching. I don't think it had to be. I don't think it had to be for Jesus to say, you've always heard that the best way to go about things is love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Because you know where that's written? That is written on the, that is inscribed on the human heart. Our just sort of baseline, normal, default position of our hearts is that we, we have what I'm going to call normal love lists. And we love the people on one list, and we do not love people on another list. This is just normal. Um, as humans, uh, we have love lists. And the first one, our, our love list, we have people. We'll put that list over, over here so it matches the screen. These are the people that I have deemed... Like it's worth it to love them. Or these are the people I want to love and I want them to love me. They might have been born on this list. Like my kids uh, are on this list. They were just born there. My parents were there. I chose my wife so she makes it on this list. Right? Um, These are the people that 
one reason or another, we have deemed they are worthy of love. They maybe have earned it or just their position puts them there. And what we want from God, what we want from religious instruction, is we want, we want God to tell us how to love these people on this list better. And we want God to tell them how to love us back. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right? So we want to know. It's what we're doing. Uh, it's what Max and Joni are, are leading us through in Sunday school in here. Those of you who are in here, that's what a marriage study is. Our spouses, we should love one another. I want to know how to love my spouse better. I want my spouse to know how to love me better. And that's good. And I want to know how to be a better friend, be a better boss, be a better employee, um, whatever. So I, lo- I want to know how to love the people on my love list better. And nothing wrong with that. But because we have that list, we necessarily have another list. <laughs> and this list over here, I'm going to call it our do not love list. These aren't actually written down anywhere. If you have this written down, you got issues we need to discuss, okay? But in our hearts, we have a list of people that we have deemed it's not worth it to love them. Maybe they have uh, hurt us. Maybe they are uh, they're, they're mean to us. Maybe they don't think correctly. We don't like their politics. If we're honest, we don't, their ethnicity makes us put, us put them on that list. Um, it can be a hundred different ways. And sometimes the lists aren't static. There can be somebody that used to be on this list. But right now, if I'm honest, they're on this list until such a time as they do something that makes me feel like it's worth it to love them. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But does any of this sound familiar? This is normal. We love the people on our love list. We don't love the people on our do not love list and the jury's still out on everybody else. Do you know why we love like that? If we're honest, we do. Normally, we do. The reason we love like that, I don't want to, I hate to be the one to break this to you, but we do this because we're selfish. We are. The reason we have people on a love list, we have decided, deemed that if they love us back, we will get something out of this transaction. Right? We will we'll get security that we need. If the right people love us back, we'll, we might get popularity. We might get emotional um, comfort. We get joy. We get happiness. And listen, this isn't wrong. I'm going to start some premarital counseling this week. And for this young couple, you know what I want? I want them to have a marriage where it's what First Peter calls a good-for-good good relationship where both invest love, both give love, both get love out. It's way better that way. Right? What I'm describing is not bad. But it can be selfish. Because what gets people moved onto this list is when we decide it's not worth it. You ever say that? To love this person. You know what you're saying? I don't get anything out of it. Now, 
This is normal. The reason that sounds familiar is because you're a human. It's so normal, Jesus said in verse 46 and 47, that's why I added this here, he said, if you only love the people on your love list and not the people on your do not love list, like, isn't that what the tax collectors do? If you only are friendly toward your, your bros, your friends, your sisters, like, that's what the Gentiles do. His original audience would have heard tax collectors as crooks, uh, sellouts, traitors, right? Even they love like this. Uh, Gentiles is not like, you know, Germanic, uh, Anglo people like us. They're talking about, their original audience would have heard this as people that, that worship weird gods. They love like that. That's what everybody, you don't have to be a Christian to, to have a group of people you love and a group of people you hate. That's just normal. And it doesn't matter how good, how well you love the people on your love list. That, that, that's not a Christian kind of scenario. Not that you can't love these people like a Christian should. It's just normal. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been telling us there's a, there's a higher kind of righteousness. There's a, there's a more stringent kind of righteousness that his followers should attain to. And that's why in verse 44, you know what the point of this passage is? Jesus says, love the other list. Love the other list. Verse 44, you've always heard it said, you love, on, love the people on your love list, you hate the people on your do not love list, but I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Now quickly, just in case you read uh, King James or New King James, you're wondering what I did with the rest of your verse, okay? Because those are much longer here. Uh, New King James says, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. It's just longer, same point. Uh, what that is, that's what uh, Luke wrote when he collected Jesus' sayings and some scribe to be helpful put the longer one in Matthew. It doesn't change his point. It's not what Matthew wrote originally. If you have New King James, there's a, there's a footnote there that alludes to the shorter reading. Um, but it, it doesn't matter. It's biblical. It's in Luke. And it doesn't change Jesus' point. Jesus' point, again, love the other list. The word for enemy, uh, Greek word ekthrus, it's just a word for someone who is hostile toward you and or hates you. Naturally, if someone's hostile toward you and hates you, what list do they wind up on? They're on your do not love list. It's not worth it. I don't get anything out of it. Jesus says that's who we love. What does he mean? What does this look like? Here's what it can't mean. It can't mean you have to make all of your enemies your friends. Here's how I know that. Because once they start being your friends, then Jesus isn't talking about them anymore. Some people might, 
Right? If you start loving someone and you love them unconditionally and you have this love without limits that Jesus is talking about, some people may stop being hostile toward you, stop hating you, and you may get a friend. But then Jesus ain't talking about them anymore because he's talking about loving your enemies. People who are hostile toward you. And I think this, that's a really important part of this concept. To understand, he's talking about the people who are still hostile. Here's why. We try this. We could go around the room and share stories. Here's what we try to do. I'm going to kill this person with kindness. You know why? Because I'm going to turn them. I'm going to change them. I'm going to be good. I'm going to love them right. I'm going to believe. And they're going to see the error of their ways and stop being hostile toward me and start loving me back. And that's what I want. The problem with that is when they don't cooperate, they remain hostile. What do you do? You say, all right, forget it. You're on this list, and you're never getting off. That's the people he's talking about. When we do what I've just been describing, are we really selflessly loving them or are we just trying to get what we want? Who are we really serving? Who are we really loving? I'm trying to get something back, so I'll try it for a little bit. It's just a different way to manipulate. It can be. All right, so, so what is Jesus saying here? If he's not talking about just try it for a little bit and see if it works. Is he saying that there, there shouldn't be any difference in how you treat your enemies from how you treat your friends? No, I don't have time, but we could go through the New Testament. There are things I do with close personal friends I don't do with anybody else, including my enemies. I don't treat people who are hostile to me the same as I treat the people who I want to hold me accountable and sharpen me, right? So I don't treat everyone the same. Uh, does, does loving my enemy say I always have to agree with them? No. Does it mean I always give them what they want? No. That's not loving. Does it? Part of loving someone, loving, loving someone is wanting to see God's best done in their lives. And if that's what I really want, sometimes I have to tell them what they are doing is wrong and why. I have to oppose people if I love them at times. So what, is, what does it look like to love people who are opposed to me, who are hostile toward me, who hate me? Well, first, loving, loving an enemy requires respect. It requires that I attempt to see this person the way God sees that person, which means I can't do this. And let me, I'm a pro at this one. I get myself convinced that God's on my side and therefore God's against this other person. God is not on my side. God's on God's side. And God died for that person just as much as he died for me. God loves that person just as much as he loves me. So I have to respect him or her as an image bearer, someone who's created in the image of God. I should seek to try and understand why he or she is the way he is acts the way he acts. 
I should care. I should desire God's best in his or her life. That's love. I also never um, seek my own vengeance. I never disparage them. I work for their benefit when I have opportunities and I seek opportunities. <laughs> Paul writes it this way. This is Romans 12, uh, beginning verse 16. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it. But this is a point of Romans where Paul's explained what it means to be a Christian for 11 chapters. And now he says, well, now that you understand what that means, let me tell you what it'll look like. And one of the, in his first chapter that he says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be arrogant or haughty. Put yourself above someone. You know, that's why we hang on to that anger and that, uh, that list of wrong that other person does because it makes us feel superior. I'm not like him or her. Look at this terrible list of things. They do. Paul says, don't be that. Associate with the lowly. Don't run away. That's part of turn the other cheek. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Consider what is good before all people, even the ones who hurt you. Do not avenge yourselves. Leave room for God's wrath. I'm still seeking God's best in their life. Does that sound hard? Anybody have this one nailed? Um, you want to know something that'll help? Let me give you the trick that'll help you do this. Prayer. It's no secret why Jesus said, I want you to love your enemies and pray for them. Warren Wiersbe wrote this about this verse. He said, prayer can take the poison out of my heart, even if it doesn't change that person's behavior. I love that. When I'm praying for another person who's opposed to me, who's an enemy, I want my heart to see that person like God sees them as much as I want God to change them or kill them or somehow deal with them. Going before God and praying blessing on that person praying God's best on that person who is your enemy can take that poison out of your heart. Again, you want to know why we don't pray for people? Because in our hearts, we know there's a possibility and we don't want to feel better about this person. We want to feel justified in feeling the way we feel about this person. It's a detox. Prayer is a poison detox. Now, why would God ask us to, why would Jesus ask us to do this? This is really, really difficult. Why would he ask us to do this? Is it because if you do this well enough, you can change people? No. Why did, it's really plain in the text. Anybody know the answer to the question? If you got your Bible open, why did Jesus say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? You know what Jesus' answer is? Because that's being like daddy. Don't you want to be like daddy? Here's a picture. I love this picture. This is me and Ike mowing the lawn years ago. 
Uh, I'm the one on the right, by the way. Ike's the one on the left. We were both wearing diapers, but that's a long story. Um, Isn't it cool when a little kid goes through that phase where he or she wants to be like mommy or wants to be like daddy. They want to, they, they pretend they're going to work where you work. They pretend they're doing the things around the house you do, right? It, imitation really is the sincerest form of flattery. They're saying, I, I, you are so worthy of emulating. I want to be like you. It's, it is cool. There's nothing like it when kids, they usually do this before they get to know us very well, Right? Well, here's Ike. Man, he, wasn't even, he was barely walking. He hadn't been walking very long, but daddy was out there mowing the lawn. He wanted to be out there mowing the lawn, and it would not be the last time me and Ike mowed a lawn together. Let me tell you, not by a long shot. Just listen to, listen to what Jesus said. And I know a lot of our Bibles say, so that you'll be sons of your Father in heaven. You don't get positional sonship. You don't get saved by loving your enemies. You become like daddy. That's why I've got the, the net Bible on the screen. Love that translation. It's, I use it every week. Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Why? So that you may be like your father in heaven. Listen to what he's like. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And what, what Jesus is saying is, if you want to be like daddy, you can't love like tax collectors and pagans. God loves his enemies. If God didn't love his enemies, there would be no saved people, right? There would be no redeemed folks if God didn't love his enemies. Jesus would not have come to earth. He certainly wouldn't have endured the cross because he didn't do that for his friends. He didn't do it for the people. I will get something out of this if I love them. Paul again wrote it this way, Romans chapter 5. Starting in verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Skip to verse 10. For if while we were, what's that word? For if while we were, what's that word? Enemies. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. When did Jesus die for you? When you were his enemy. He didn't say, listen, you're on the do not love list, young, young lady. You're on the, on the do not love list, young man. And if you get some certain things straightened out, you improve your behavior, then maybe I'll come die on a cross under the weight of your sin. While we were enemies, he died under the weight of the sin of not only ours, John says, but that of the whole world. And then... Make no mistake, many people will reject that love. It's not like once he died on the cross, everybody was going to see what he did and, and turn toward Jesus. Some will reject, some will accept. But God was demonstrating the kind of love that he loves with. Same way he 
poured out son, S-U-N, on the righteous and the wicked, he killed his son. Not for the righteous and the wicked, because there were no righteous, for only the wicked. Now, praise God, some of us, he has taken, he has taken from this list and put on that list. Praise God, he took me from his enemy and by faith made me his friend. But he didn't need me. He didn't need you. God would not have been lonely in heaven for all of eternity without you. He gets nothing out of the transaction. He just demonstrated the kind of love he loves with. He demonstrated his grace that was already there. Then Jesus drops this whopper on us. Last verse in chapter 5. So then, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's all. I'll say a couple things about that verse. First, it may be a summary of this section of the whole section of the Sermon on the Mount where he said, oh, you want to behave yourself? You behave your way into God's good graces? Now you know what it looks like. We just went through during the singing time, right? Our scorecard and how we're doing on the Sermon on the Mount, it don't look great, right? We are losing, right? That's what behavioral righteousness would look like, perfection. But I think in this context, Jesus is saying, you have to love like daddy loves. You got to love this love without boundaries, without limits. One great thing about God is God refused to treat us the way we tend to to treat our enemies. (laughs) You shape up, maybe I'll give you some love. You make sure I'll get something out of it. I'll give you some love. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Now, here's why it's important to get that motivation down. The motivation. Why did Jesus say, you, start loving your enemies? Why? Because you can change them? Because you can turn them? Because God won't love you unless you do a good job of it? Why? That's how you be like daddy. That's the motivation. He already loved you. Until I understand that's how he loved me. He loved me when I was his enemy. I'll be locked in this thing where I'm still trying to impress God with my behavior. I'll try loving enemies to see if it works. And when it doesn't, I'll give up. But when I understand I was the enemy loved by my daddy, and I'm just trying to be like daddy, begins to make the impossible possible. Because I'm not looking for results. That is the result. He loved me. I accepted his love. I start to be like daddy. I love somebody who won't pay me back, who will always stay opposed to me. I will not change them, turn them, whatever. The result's happening. I'm starting a little bit. I'm starting to be like daddy. Who's making the impossible possible in this heart of stone. Pray with me. Oh, daddy, father, We love you so much. We don't love like you loved. 
You loved us first. We're trying to love you back. We want to be like you. It's really hard for us to love our enemies because we think if we do it, it'll make you like us. Or if we do it, it'll make them like us. God, we just want to start to love like you loved us. We want to be like Daddy. And so God, we want to give up hating our enemies and then trying to convince ourselves we're righteous, we're like you when we do it. And make us people who love without wisdom to navigate uh, boundaries that you've told us are still important. But man, we want to be like our daddy who loved us when we were his enemy. In Jesus' name.